Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Hi. Um, how did you guys meet each other? <laughs> we The first time we met was like in 2001, yeah. right? And I was working at a laundromat. You were there too. And um, he was doing laundry, and he gave me a shirt that was like uh, Motley Crue, girls, girls, girls all over it. And he Your was shirt. like, it was holy, and he was going to throw it away. And he's like, do you want this? And I was like, yeah. And that was how we met, I think. That's the first time we maybe spoke. Yeah. Maybe. I think so. My memory is cloudy. And there, there was an open mic that happened there. And uh, we did our laundry there and did the open mic with Diamond Dave, who I think one of the contributors is still in touch with, Ryan, yeah? Diamond Dave. Diamond Dave, a classic San Francisco... Yeah, Diamond Dave. If you ever were in the poetry scene in San Francisco, what was the rest of his name? It was Diamond... Diamond Dave Whitaker. There you go. Yeah. And his son's name is Ubi Doobie. His, son, his son's name is Ubi Doobie. Yeah. Yeah. Just thought I'd put that out there. That has nothing to do with how me and Amy... Just musing on the past in a way that's not interesting to anyone besides me. Um, well, so like, okay, but that was a really long time ago. So how did you guys come together and decide to do this and take on the project of doing a DIY magazine during a time when print was supposedly Dead. failing and not just saying like, oh, we're going to do it online or we're just going to do a zine, but like committing to this beautiful art, full color. How did you guys do it? Take us, take us on your journey. It was San Francisco, 2009 or 2008 or something, and I was like, had just moved back to the city, and I was trying to connect with people, and I really wanted to photograph trans men in my neighborhood that I lived in, in like the Mission District, and I photographed Rocco for it, and I, my initial idea was to like photograph guys and then interview them, so then there would be photographs, interviews, the trans guys could speak for themselves for like the first time in media, because there was like no place where I ever saw that happening, and I thought I would you know print it into like a little color zine, one-off, and while I was photographing Rocco in the nude, I think. Well, we, we hadn't gotten that far, actually. <laughs> we were talking about how he wanted to take pictures of, of guys in their bedrooms and do like sort of like a trans, trans guy butt magazine, if anyone remembers Butt Magazine. Um, and I would not, like, I had been performing for almost a decade. Well, I had been performing for over a decade, but I had been um, on the stage as a trans guy for around a decade, and there weren't believe it or not, there weren't a ton of us uh, at that time. And there was not really any kind of visibility of trans men. There's still not really much visibility in the way of trans men. Um, but uh, I had never been interviewed about anything besides uh, where I was at. So if I released an album or did any, anything of note that I was getting press for, they always went to, where are you at in your surgical journey? What's, what's next for you surgically? <laughs> So when Amos asked me, I was, you know, people had taken, a lot of cis people had taken pictures of me for many years and no one, and uh, always they were like, well, how comfortable are you in the nude? And I was like, nah, it's not going to happen. Um, but then when Amos, uh, you know, said that he was going to do this project, I was like, well, it, it's a totally different thing if you're with someone who has and understands your body and isn't exotifying you in this way, even if they're a well-intentioned and lovely cis person who 
really wants to cap capture the beauty of your trans body and experience. Of it's your just, true self. Yeah, it's different. Are they, can you look into the mirror pensively? <laughs> the, the classic trans picture, right? Where it's like, who am I? I don't see her and she's not the, you know, whatever. Um, so it was really different. And then when he said that what he wanted to do, I was like, holy shit. And I had been traveling for 10, 10 plus years and kept seeing little pockets like, uh, I would go to the same cities and play shows in the same cities, so I would see, like, the first time it was, like, one trans dude. Next time I go, it's, like, three. And then the next time it's, like, four or five. And I just kept seeing the community grow in these small pockets and thought, whoa, if you were willing to make this a bigger thing where it was, like, we gave it a year, and then basically Amos and I, I have, uh, I'm a Libra with a Sag Rising, and He's a Sag with a Libra rising. So we were like hot air balloons. So we were drinking coffee before you took my picture in the cafe downstairs, getting super pumped about this. I was like, you know, just back and forth ping-ponging ideas. And then it grew into like, let's, let's take a chance. And I was like, and I'll pose in, in the buff for a trans guy. So that's the only, only picture that's ever been taken of me um, fully disrobed. And sadly it's not it's not in the book. That did not make the cut. No, it's not in the book. So but we just found back issues of issue 1. So if you if you're dying to see what my butt looked like 10 years ago, it's in there. Looks different now. Um how have you watched um you're talking about Rocco a little bit about how you were seeing change in like trans communities while you were traveling the country a little bit prior to doing original plumbing how have you guys watched I mean I know it's a big question but how have you seen like the trans male community change and culture change through the lens of OP while you guys have done it this past decade well through OP I think that our right like the way that we've that we documented people like through in the past 10 years changing I feel like we got more serious about it, about like the stories that we were telling and, and people that we were interviewing because in the beginning it was very cheeky and fun. And I mean, that was the whole point of starting it was to ha have fun, have a fun space. Like, let's not think too hard about it. Let's just like create this space and like take fun just photographs. Uh, yeah, celebrate our experiences and like, let's pretend like we're in these teen magazines that we never were in. You know, the ones that we were we read as kids. Like, let's pretend that everybody's like, let's, it's that kind of questioning in the beginning. And then I think as, it got more visibility and we felt more like responsibility to share stories differently and have more people involved and, and not uh, be a joke the whole time. I mean, it was never a joke, but you know what I'm saying? Like it was- uh, Less of a sense of, uh, yeah, less, less uh, it was more, we, as the audience grew, well, I, I wanna say that the first, the first thing that I thought when you asked that question is language. Language has changed, oh, yeah. it's expansive, inclusive, and, and ever changing. So I think like when we started this magazine, um, transsexual was not a bad word. Um, it was, and I still feel comfortable calling myself a transsexual. Um, and I know that that's unpopular, but, uh, but that's m my reality. It's uh, closest to the experience. And at this point too, I don't even feel that. I feel like um, man of trans experience is also a term that didn't really exist in popularity at that time. And that's how I relate to my experience now. But the word uh, non-binary was not something that really was thrown around. Transmasculine came around maybe like a year into to OP. Genderqueer was the term that yeah, if was, you weren't, you know, for folks that were not, um, that didn't identify as like trans male yeah, in, so, the, in the magazine in the early issues. 
So that changed and then that sort of changed and broadened our representation a bit um, to be a bit more inclusive. Um, and I think overall it's, I think OP kind of opened the door that first year, especially it was just like a skyrocket. The first issue sold out before we printed it to the point that PayPal shut us down because we weren't shipping anything and they wanted proof that we were actually shipping what we were selling. <laughs> so they stopped, they halted uh, us being able to receive payments for that first time, first one. And we weren't, we didn't have money to pay for the magazine. So we were like, fuck. Yeah, Amos pre-sales. Was, yeah, yeah, that was it. We thought, yeah, we'll just pre-sell and it's no big deal. But PayPal was like, uh, you have to, you have to prove it. And then Amos made these stickers that said scantily clad trans with a Z. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, he had already had them because he was on tour with them. And, um, and then we sent one of those away to someone to prove that we were actually shipping something so we could continue to get money for the magazine. But um, then we mailed them like a few weeks oh, later. Oh, yeah, the magazine it was just did like, come it out. It wasn't like a scam. It was it, we weren't like... scamming anyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that, you know, it's more expansive, like, like sort of like just traveling. It was like more and more trans men started emerging. And I think in part that was about visibility and be, having options. And then uh, another one was about access to care. So Harry Benjamin's standards went away and WPATH took the lead and gate, no more gatekeeping for trans people. So the trans community kind of grew in tandem and, and so did our visibility in a way. I also want to know how you guys' friendship changed um, as a result of, of doing this project for a decade. Well, we moved in together um, <laughs> for a period in New York. Um, and that was funny because we've been doing the magazine for like three years at that point. And then uh, we moved from San Francisco to New York and lived together. And um, then there was zero boundaries about when we were working versus when we were like just being regular humans. So we would, I remember like we would Which just- we're still not up. regular humans. <laughs> we would like wake up in the morning and be making coffee and then talking about, I don't know, maybe something that was going on in the world. And then all of a sudden, like the next sentence would be like, what do you think about this guy for the you know next issue? Or like, what about this theme? Or, or you know who, and like, I do remember that. Yeah, and it was just, course. there was like zero, ever, like no boundaries whatsoever. Also, um, not only did we move in together, we had a very thin wall that separated our head to head beds. So we would joke that we would like just carve a portal to open and be like, excuse me, late, late night. I've had an idea I'd like to share for a future issue. <laughs> So now we have different boundaries. <laughs> we both are settled with other partners. <laughs> no longer each other's primary. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's cute. Um, how did you? How do you guys go? How did you go about selecting all of the different themes for each issue? I remember in the beginning we made like a long list of just themes that we thought we could tackle. Um, I feel like I just lost the notebook, the original notebook that it, we were taking all the original notes in, but. It was just kind of like fun. Like, what do people talk about? Hair, um, you know. Yeah, the first sex. ones were like, "What are trans men obsessed with?" Hair. And then, yeah, <laughs> hair. Right. Yeah, losing it, having it. Where does it grow? Do you get shoulder hair? Do you? How many do you, chin you hairs know? do you have yeah, today? Exactly. Um, <laughs> what would? Uh, hey like YouTube. <laughs> like entertainment. Like we just wanted to. I think we just were trying to figure out different ways to tackle different theme, like 
different groups of people, you know, and I love a theme. So any, anything to pull it all together. Yeah. You know? There were some themes that we talked about from the beginning that we never made that I still feel sad that we never like made. Like which one? The, man, the men of cloth issue. Oh, that would have been We talked good. about that. We had it oh. like fully listed out of like a rabbi, a shaman, a Baptist preacher, like so many different and just never, never got it together. Limited resources, you know? People, yeah. I think there was a point when OP was really successful that people were like, they're making so much money off the community. I just want to say to anyone who <laughs> wants to start a queer project, <laughs> you got it wrong. That's never going to happen. You're just trying to celebrate your community. You're not shitting on a golden toilet. <laughs> it's just never going to happen. But yeah, it was really hard to, I, I remember now, like the, gold, the Men of the Cloth one, everyone was the golden so issue. far away. Like there was, like, it was like Vermont and like, I don't know. It was yeah. also like about our accessibility. So a lot of people were in one of the two coasts, you know, the, like people in LA, San Francisco, New yeah. York, Philadelphia. That was like the easiest way for us to be able to like go and, and interview and photograph people in person. And sometimes that would dictate it. Something like the Philly Trans Health Conference was really good because there was a huge gathering of people and then we could do something like the family issue was really easy for that one because there were so many families at the Trans Health Conference. Um, so That was the year we set up a, like a photo booth at the trans health conference and anyone who wanted to be you know interviewed or photographed for with their family members we would like let them come by and that's not in this issue because of a lot of people like you know it's hard for people to consent like 10 years later if there's like children involved and things like that but there are plenty of other there actually are children in here but not from so, that specific shoot yeah but that was a good one yeah um how did you guys go about selecting what you're going to put in the book i mean there's so, I mean, everything is so good in the magazines and in the book. It How was really hard to like cut things and to, to be like, we'll have to, you know, kill your darlings, as they say. We went through a stack of all of them one afternoon, I remember, and I thought it was going to take like an hour, but it was like an eight hour process, or maybe two over two days, yeah. where it took a lot longer than, you know, I thought. But we just went through every single page of every issue and, and made, made a list and then told Feminist Press what we wanted to put in. And they're like, okay, great. Now cut that by half. <laughs> I, th I think, so. too, like from the very beginning of the project, Amos and I were really focused on um, diverse representation of voices and experience. And um, one thing that I, I think we can pride ourselves on is like from the very first issue, there were people who had who weren't on hormones, who never had surgery, who didn't intend to have surgery. Um, really just a diverse swath of the community and I think that with the book too we kind of were like oh how do we make sure that this is balanced um, for all kind of representation so so it's a good kind of collected version of what one issue would look like and some of the things are chopped down like some of the photo some of the interviews are not in there but the, but a photograph and a quote will remain and things like that just so that we could try and put as much in as possible um, how did you find everybody? It's like so mind-boggling, like the variety of people from like place. I mean, you spoke a little bit about like the coasts were helpful, but mm. there are people also who aren't in the coast. Like, how did you do it? Where did you find everybody? In the beginning, we did have like that uh, a thing on our website that allowed people to submit to be uh, models. Mm -hmm. And if they were like going to be somewhere where we were going to be, because we traveled a lot in the beginning, we would try and set up like a photo shoot very quickly. Yeah. Um, and then just people that, we knew. Yeah, I think I had a, a, amassed a decent Rolodex in the beginning, so then it was really easy for themes. So if we had a theme, I would go into my brain and think like, oh, I know X, Y, and Z, and they would be willing to do this, and they all are whatever the theme was. Hairy, bald. <laughs> <laughs> a naturopath. 
Is there a, spe- a particular moment that where or like something that happened that let you know that like that the magazine was really hitting people and hitting the culture and changing the culture? New I think York. just getting le- oh yeah the New York party yeah. was huge. Um, feeling like people recognized us mm. was very strange. Like at different events at the time, um, and I think getting receiving letters from people, um, email, like actual letters, like handwritten letters from people, like all over the country, like thanking us, which is so yeah. sweet. Like they could have emailed, but you know, people just like getting the magazine in the mail and then like sending us a card to the return address. It felt really blessed from the beginning because of um, the response immediately when we set up a Facebook page. Uh, People were super excited. And then that um, PayPal thing that I talked about, that let us know that it was, that we were doing something, we were filling a need that existed that nobody else had had kind of filled. Um, And then the New York party, we had this, uh, somebody in New York um, had the magazine and, and got really excited and was like, if you guys came out here, I would throw this party for you. And that was the, like the first huge OP party. And it was in a two-story place called Sugarland. And it was so, it was packed. It was mobbed. And when we got there, I remember just like it ended at, we it left the party at 6 a.m. Oh, and God. I just couldn't believe how many people. I was so upset at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe how many people came for the magazine and were so excited about it. And I think, like, you know, that's the part that, like, kind of breaks my heart is that I'm 40, so I don't want to go out in that way. I'm not quite 40, but in my head I'm already 40. Um, (laughs) I'm old enough that I don't want to go out all the time, but OP parties were so special because no space like that existed, and it still doesn't. There's no, like, trans male-specific gathering where, like, dudes were ripping their shirts off, and it's cliche, right, because we see it on Instagram every day, so we're sort of like, mm, I don't know, desensitized to the power of that. But when you're in a space of like sweaty, lovely, queer people celebrating each other's bodies in that way, where it's like they just were free, and I've never like, I don't know, nothing like that exists anymore. Unless I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong, but I haven't seen anything like that that exists. And I think that that was the... Uh, real-world physical manifestation of what we put in print, which is why it's so valuable that it was in print and not online because it's not ephemeral. It's tangible. You hold it. It will last longer than whatever website we had or whatever Instagram photo someone posts. It's meaningful. It's something that you develop a relationship with. So to be able to put that in a physical space, that was a moment for me that really imprinted and then the New York Times was like wanting to write about us and gay men all of a sudden were interested in the fact that trans men existed <laughs> for the first time. You know, they were like, what's this? <laughs> Can we interview and you? Never, and I'm not, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was constant. Yeah. yeah. It was a moment. And you know, when gay men, gay men make culture. So <laughs> they made, they, they were like, we've discovered something. <laughs> that was like 2010. Welcome to the world of a different type of man. <laughs> I love gay men, just, just to be clear. Are you guys going to do a podcast? <laughs> Don't you want them to do a podcast? Yeah. I feel like I'm sitting like in on your podcast right now, and it feels really good. Um, what was the hardest part of producing the magazine? Oh, it became a real struggle after a few years, I think. Like, in, it was stressful. I burnt out really, really intensely. Um, but, I, I mean, the biggest struggle? I don't know. I, I think getting advertisers, trying to get money for it. Um, no one wants to advertise yeah. for a, a magazine about trans men. It was amazing in the beginning um, because there was so many local San Francisco like 
psychotherapists and like bars and shout just, out to the tool shed from start yeah, and to the finish. Lexington <laughs> club oh yeah the tool shed in what's that city Milwaukee Minneapolis, Minneapolis? I don't know Milwaukee, the tool somewhere. shed is like a like a queer sex shop that has books and magazines and they sold uh, they bought a full page ad like almost full page from the very from beginning the issue and just were like end. and they were like the final like no one I don't think anyone else really advertised in the last issue they were the only ones like that's like tool because shed. it's like a whole other job to try and get advertising and like that was that's a struggle. We had no idea what we were doing. We didn't know. We still don't. But we did yeah. it. <laughs> Hand-addressed envelopes, all oh 1,000. <laughs> Trash bags full of magazines going to the post office with a hostile postal worker being like, oh, no, you guys. <laughs> in Brooklyn, I'll just say this. I've said it before, but um, uh, there was this one postal worker in the Brooklyn post office that, that we went to who, when she would see me, she was like, <laughs> no and then I would be like sorry because <laughs> we had she's like she would say why you, why, why do you do this to me <laughs> why do you do this to me because we didn't know how to do it we couldn't figure out how to like no we couldn't figure out how to do the computer stuff <laughs> no I bought one of the stampers once uh, for one uh, for the, the fashion issue I remember like printing out the stamps and then they would get it would get clogged and I would be spending money for stamps that were not coming out and I was like this is a waste but, but the I first one once. when it printed we were like, we were like yes <laughs> this is changing everything but that was it it lasted like half of you know yeah maybe we're like we printed a hundred <laughs> stamps that way Oh my God. On that note, what would you say to somebody who was wanting to do their own magazine, their own DIY magazine? Partner up with a business partner friend. Someone who's business minded, maybe yeah. someone who's, uh, who knows the finance, financial side of things, uh, who won't be on the creative side. Yes. Because we were just like two creative people um, trying to figure out the business side without ever, like, we made a business plan in the beginning, but I don't think it made any sense. Of course not. Yeah. So like, someone who's like kids starting part. a lemonade stand, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? We're like, we got this great product. Everyone's gonna come. <laughs> Here are all the goals. <laughs> like none of them make yeah. sense. So I think partnering with somebody who, who were th that's their strong point. Yeah. The, the structured uh, business person that'll keep you on a schedule. Yeah, <laughs> and also like take breaks if yeah. it's not you don't need you're not beholden to anyone even if you're doing a project where you set a schedule where we said we were a quarterly print magazine but 10 years later only 20 issues came out you know what I mean we did our best um, I think that it's important to make sure that you take care of yourself especially when you're doing a community-based project that you're not getting paid for that you're working like um, a full-time or more job uh, self-care falls away and then you feel like, um, you know, when, when people get upset about something, because, you know, inevitably, most of us are queer in this room, sometimes the queer community can get a little upset that you're giving them something, you know? <laughs> and when they do, um, it's hard not to take it personally when you're, when you're making this altruistic kind of offering, and then you're like, no, you guys got it wrong, because I was just trying to, and they're like, you didn't do it right! And you're like, fuck, fuck me, I hate this, but I have to do it. And I think it's important to figure out how to take care of yourself through that. You, how do you do it? Definitely. That's, I, about I know, but you know. <laughs> I cry. 
But I think that if you have a vision to do something, don't like, just do it. I, I think so. Yeah, don't think too hard, just, yeah. Yeah, we didn't think about it. We were just like, we're Not gonna do all. it. And we didn't have any obstacles that we could see. And I think that that's why we did it. And I think in general, the reason that I've done anything in my life is because I don't think about the obstacles. I have no uh, regrets of things that I wish I did. I only have regrets of things I wish I hadn't said. <laughs> <laughs> or things you haven't tweeted. I don't tweet. <laughs> I can't tweet. That's why I can't have a podcast. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Um, okay. Uh, what do you now that this is done? That the magazine is done, and you guys finished the book. What are you guys on to now? Well, we've been working jobs like in the, you know for years now, but it's like it doesn't seem like it's ever been part of the conversation because this is all that has been visible and that all that matters. But I'm I wrote a young adult book that I'm trying to uh, rewrite and then get out into the world. And I also wrote, um, I co-wrote a film about Billy Tipton, the trans jazz musician that is in pre-production uh, for a Canadian production company. And I'm just working in the TV film world in those, in that realm. Cool. What about you? Um, what are you doing? So with OP closing, it feels like, uh, it's not closing, it's gonna be forever in this book, but um, in book form. But I think for me now, it kind of frees up this space uh, mentally to think about what's, what's the next iteration of OP. And I'm really not doing anything yet with it, but I'm thinking about how do trans men and cis men start getting into conversation about how to be more intentional and better men. Because I think that trans men are kind of excluded from most conversations at this point. Um, they're not centralized in any conversation. And I think that there's this large movement of taking a hard look at how shitty men are. And I think that trans men being involved in that conversation could actually shift the way that men relate to other men. Um, I started doing this camp called Camp Lost Boys. It's, I do it with two other people. Justin's here, shout out to Justin. Um, he and I and one other dude started this camp. It's, uh, we're on to the fourth iteration of it. And it's a separatist space for trans men or men of trans experience. And I've gotta say, it's like the most healing and profound experience I've ever had. And I think that what I was saying about missing that space of OP parties, this feels like a more like softer, gentler, longer version of that where we all come together in the woods and hang out and go to a summer camp together, archery, high ropes, you know, like summer camp shit, and then like real deep conversations. Jameson Green opens the whole thing up by telling an oral history of, of the trans male movement and, and talks about that experience. And to see a hundred guys around a campfire with him telling the story from 18 to 75 year olds all together is the most profound thing that I've ever experienced. So that's kind of what I'm working on. I'm not making it a business yet but I keep pushing the two dudes that I'm with to be like, come on, you guys, don't you wanna make this a business? Let's like dedicate our lives to doing this. But I think I'm slowing my role in understanding from past that, that we're at the third one and already we're kind of hearing whispers of like not doing it right, where I'm like, what's that? I have a lot of PTSD from doing projects in the queer community, if I'm being honest. Um, so I'm trying to slowly ease into that and understand what that would be like to just hold that space and keep doing that space. And we're trying to figure out how to get funding to make it a, a, even more affordable. We keep the cost really low, but we wanna make it as affordable so everyone who needs that space, because everyone who comes to that space is like, whoo, I did not realize how desperate I was to be around other men of trans experience and have these conversations. Right dudes who have gone to the camp? <laughs> Amos came to the last camp. It was fun. It was nice. <laughs> 
I did archery for the first time. <laughs> it was really cool. Oh my god! I just want an animated series with you guys. Um, Okay, well, let's bring up some contributors. There's some folks in the audience that were in the book. Um, Alex Blue Davis, Texas Isaiah, Emerson Whitney, and Ryan Casada. I'll hear you guys want to come up. I'll read your bios. How's that? Um, and, and I think I'm going to give up my chair. And there's some chairs. No, would you put those two chairs out? Um, Alex Blue Davis is an American actor and singer-songwriter. He's best known for his role as Dr. Casey Parker on Ray's Anatomy, NBD, the first recurring trans-masculine character played by a trans man on primetime TV. And Davis is also known for his music, having toured nationally and released a number of albums, including his recent EP, Songs for Surgery. Where is he? He's right here. That's him. Um, Texas Isaiah's work explores gender, race, and sexuality by inviting the sitter to participate in the photographic process. The invitation constructs a space to begin and continue collaborative visual dialogues about legacy, self-empowerment, emotional justice, protection, and topophilia, which is the effective bonds between people and place. You learn something. Um, Emerson, okay, we're... And that's you, hello, great to meet you. Um, Emerson Whitney is the author of Heaven and Ghost Box. Um, Emerson teaches in the BFA Creative Writing Program at Goddard College and is a postdoctoral fellow in gender studies at USC. There's Emerson right there. And Ryan Casada is an award-winning singer-songwriter, actor, performer, writer, LGBTQ activist, and motiva motivational speaker based here in LA. And this is Ryan here on the end. Cool, thanks for being here, you guys. Um, you know, I guess I just want to know, like, what was, I, I'm, I'm really curious to hear, like, what um, was your, everyone's first experience of learning about original plumbing? Like, what were your impressions, and how did you get involved um, contributing your work into the magazine? Hi, my name's Ryan Casada, and um, I, I feel, like, really honored to be here, I'll be honest. And um, I had come out, I had started coming out, um, around the time that Original Plumbing came out, and during that time, there was literally, like, there was nothing. I mean, there was, like, there was no visibility anywhere. There was no trans people on TV that you saw. There was, you could barely, like, find someone online. There was, like, six YouTubers. There was, like, five top surgeons in the entire country. Like, it was a different time. And, I mean, if you said you were transgender, most people would be like, what is that? And now you could say you're trans, you know? Um, so, for me... It was, first of all, I was a young teenager, and getting a copy of Original Plumbing was not easy to do when you're a young teenager. And I, I remember having uh, the copies. I could still remember exactly where I kept them in my room so that, like, my mom would not see them and stuff. Like, and I, it, it was the first time that I, like, that I actually got to see myself. And there, there's been, um, you know, the magazine has represented so many different types of trans men. And I think that was what was so beautiful about it because for someone like me, I'm, I've never went on testosterone. And for me, I always felt included when I looked at the magazine because it was, it is so diverse. So definitely like pick up a copy of the book. Um, reading that changed my life and I'm forever grateful for you guys. Thank you. It's historic, get the book, thank you. Are we just going down the line? Is that okay? Um, all right, cool. Um, oh, I'm so grateful for this as well. And I'm really honored to be here. And look at all these folks. Look at this. It's great. Um, thank you all for being here. Um, yeah, I was. Um, 
I, I don't know when I first heard of OP, honestly. It just seemed to, like, permeate my world. Like, it was, it just sort of soaked into my life. Um, and I was living, I, what I do really remember is I was living rurally. I was living um, with an, one other trans person in the middle of nowhere um, on an island that was super far away from everything we can think of right now. And um, we would bust it open and get really pumped. Um, and that... And that was really, it was really lovely in a, in a lot of ways because I think I also, you know, I've never, I've also not been on tea and, um, or I tried it once, it's a long story. Um, uh, yeah. But I think one of the things for me was that I really didn't feel like I could be like sexy or cute or happy with how I embodied um, this, whatever this is. I really didn't feel like anyone wanted to see me, honestly. Um, because I didn't really want to see myself for a lot of the time. But for some reason, when I, when I would uh, engage with your work and see other people doing this, it made me feel more like, okay, you know, maybe I can look at myself as lovingly as I look at these other people. So it was really, it's been important for me. Thanks. Oh my gosh. Um, this doesn't, I think this is going to be the, yeah, so here. Lean over you awkwardly. Uh, Gosh, I, I mean, it's similar to, to you both. Um, it was a Google search that my wife performed because I would not look up trans guys. Yeah, I was like, no, this is overwhelming. I want to be on the island with Emerson. Like, I don't want to be doing this. And um, she was like, no, you have to watch this YouTube video and you have to look at this and this magazine and look, you're not the only one and this and that. Like, clearly I needed her to make this happen. And um, I mean, I don't think that's true, but I was ready to transition and it was 2007. So you started in 2009, yeah. So then, so yeah, so I started and then I had been on to you like a year and starting to feel better about myself. And I remember looking at the magazine being like, how do I get in it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's a community. I wanna be a musician. I'm gonna exploit the shit out of this. Didn't happen. I just wasn't ready to be a part of it. And here I am, 10 years later, in the book, I made it. <laughs> I mean, I feel really honored. It's crazy when I walked in and I, because now I'm in an isolated world of uh, children and a home and I'm very much an adult, which is a whole other island I never expected to be on, like even alive, you know what I mean? So. I came in and I it like flooded back like I felt a little starstruck like I had looked at you guys as these self-realized trans men like it wasn't just about I want to be in the magazine I suddenly had that feeling like oh I want to be that how do I get to be that and feel okay enough with myself to be in the buff in a magazine like I couldn't even fathom it I still don't I props <laughs> No, <laughs> it's different. You went through, you yeah, changed, you evolved. Oh, good. I'm glad to know that. Um, yeah, and, and so anyway, I'm very happy to be here and I'm so happy for you guys. You want to switch with me? Hello. Um, I don't quite remember. Um, I remember where I was. It's, it, I've been trying not to get too emotional looking back at those photos. Um, so I think I was creating work um, or be beginning to think about like legacy and um, how um, 
trans folks were being photographed. And so thinking more about the process of, you know, seeing images and that's beautiful, but also what's going on behind, you know, the scenes of that. Um, and I think I was just like, yeah, I was working on my first ever solo project and I had just co-founded like my first queer and trans house in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. It was on Nostrand and St. Mark's. And, you know, just really feeling so overwhelmed because I didn't have access to um, the language around how I wanted to exist yet. Um, and so I was on Google. Um, a lot <laughs> um, on live journal, uh, not live journal. Whoa, um, <laughs> um, Tumblr, um, YouTube, and there wasn't a lot of content um, during that time. But there was a, a slight emergent emergence of trans folks in media, so like Janet Mock and Laverne Cox, and I think that like maybe you had reached out to me, or I like found y'all on you know the Google searches and you asked me to be a part of it and I remember thinking like oh this is a very very beautiful thing because I think I was also reading you know Courtney Ryan Ziegler um, who's an amazing um, doctor and genius who lives in Oakland um, and so yeah I was just reading a lot of like reading content but like not a lot and so I think being a part of you know those two issues, one was my face on a cover, which was really emotional, you know, because I think I resonate with what a lot of people have been talking about around like you know perhaps not feeling like very desirable, very loved, very seen, and then also thinking about what that would look like, you know um, and so when I saw that, you know like. I told my mom, <laughs> um, and I think it really settled a lot of the disturbances that I was like going through during that time. Um, and then I photographed uh, Chris, yeah, Chris, um, and it was, uh, what is it, the, the skateboarding? It was yeah, the board, the board issue. stiff issue. Yeah. Um, and to photograph this, you know, other um, black trans man who had a partner and a family, they had their dog. Um, I think that that shoot made me realize the possibilities of family and community that I can obtain for myself, you know? And so to be able to be a part of that process and to even think about, I think, also just like my first editorial shoot, you know? So to be able to think about um, how I can contribute to, you know, the legacies of trans folks um, in photography um, and how, you know, I was kind of chosen to, like, be brought in to, like, be a part of this, like, very beautiful um, entity, like, really changed my life and, and very much, like, pulled me out of, like, the deep sea of, you know, what it really feels like when you are coming into yourself and when you're falling into your body and how beautiful that is, but just how much just shit, you know, comes with that because of just the world that we live in. So, you know, thank you so much. Like truly, like this is very beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. My God, you guys, tears. Tears up here. Um, 
All right, we have time for some questions from the audience. Yeah. Were the voices why? Like, did you, did you hear from older trans we included older trans guys from, from the get-go. Um, Maybe it, not the first issue. Rhett Jordan, what issue is he in? The fourth. Okay. But he was, yeah, he's probably one of the most, the oldest, the yeah. eldest. And Jameson. I think they were grateful to be a part of it. I think that, like, um, I, I'm obsessed with uh, preserving queer history because no one else does. Like it's up to us to preserve the legacy of the people who came before us and honor it. And I think that like, not, so it was like Body Alchemy, a lesser known work, a book by Lauren Cameron, Self-Portraits and Portraits of Other Guys. That was a Bible for me, I clung to that. Um, and then The Phallus Palace came out in 2003 by Dean Cthulhu, I think is how you say his last name. Lesser known, but also Images of Trans Men. But up until that, those two things, and then OP. So like what Ryan was saying is like, people were just like, wow, this exists, this is so cool. Like people of all generations got behind it. The mailings. Oh my God, 100% the mailings. We never did that right. We always were <laughs> like literally hand hand addressing hundreds of it's envelopes. Not, yeah, it's not a joke. Like we're, we're not even that. kidding. I mean, later years we, I figured out a spreadsheet situation in Google Docs for, for subscribers. So I would just print <laughs> these sheets out, but then I'd have to cut them individually and then tape them. So it's like, cause even if I printed it out on sticker paper, it would come off so I'd have to tape over it anyway. So we fucked that up from the beginning. We never got that right. But what did we do good? I, think, I really I think, want to think the diversity of voices and experiences. I feel really proud of that, and I feel proud of like honoring the people that we did that. When we first started, that when he had butcher block paper up on his bedroom wall, which was also our office, and we wrote like themes and made a list of people we wanted in each theme issue. And that first brainstorming session that we had where we were like putting a business plan together, which was just a brainstorm on a butcher paper, um, <laughs> we said the hero issue, and that was what we were working towards. And I think that that... Like, Every, we knew that we couldn't release that the first year because, like, what is this? How, oh, the hero issue, right? So we wanted to work towards that. And then it was right in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we like, honored um, Lou Sullivan on the cover. Um, Janet Mock is in there. Kate Bornstein's in there. Uh, Jameson Green. Jameson Green. Um, photos by Catherine Opie of all the trans men, a bunch of trans men that old, she photographed. Old uh, FTMI, FTM International Newsletters that we got the entire archive for because it was sitting in someone's garage and now it's sitting in my garage no it's in my it's in my closet i, I have a box of it too oh my god okay. so it, it's scattered we <laughs> need to donate they? that <laughs> we need to archive it because we offered to to archive it for them too and and for the same reason that we left some things out of this people don't want that disclosed but to have those like one page leaflet printed it was so cool yeah i think we did a good job of preserving history and and then like accidentally made it made history yes yeah it being history. <laughs> Hi. Um, so I was wondering, I'm thinking about when you all first started out, you were talking about how magazine 
Remember that? <laughs> I think I went to a website that was LGBT bookstores. Um, and I went and I emailed everyone individually and I said, do you want to order any of this magazine that we have coming out? It's really, I really talked it up. And then um, they started placing their orders. And, and so literally distribution was done by us and then like invoicing them and like getting paid 50% of the time um, and wasting money by sending it internationally and it would never arrive. Like spending like 50 bucks to send like a box of... <laughs> A box of things. She's horrified. I know. Our friend is horrified that we're like so silly. But um, if anyone knew. Yeah. No, we literally did it all by researching, emailing, reaching out ourselves. Now we have a, distri a distributor. We did at the end uh, small changes, which did just some stuff in San Francisco and Seattle. Didn't Good Vibes for a while, too? They stocked it up. There were they like would, I mean, yeah, there's some bookstores and places that would always AK get like a standing order. Uh, for a while, yeah. AK yeah. Press did. Good Vibes yeah. um, would sell it. And then like all like local bookstores, only local bookstores like across the country. I think we had like a an uh, inside joke. It's fine, right? What? Just know. a lot of like joke. I beg of you, <laughs> because there was a lot of like begging that happened of like, like please pay us, please pay us, please universe, like I beg of you. <laughs> but it's so it's so hard though for a lot of like smaller bookstores. Um, some of the smaller bookstores, you know, they didn't have much of a they wouldn't keep track either. Like as to like I'd send them like ten copies, and then six months would go by. You know, they'd be like, oh, I, you know, we sold a few copies. We'll send you a check for eight dollars. You know, and, and it was like, oh, okay. And then I would like not keep track. I had like a binder of like how many. It was just not good. It was not a good a, a good binder. way. For, yeah, not physical a binder on like written like with pencil. <laughs> just a scrap and paper. Just like no, it was. little torn pieces. <laughs> no, it was a binder. And then for a while, no, I no, taped it onto my desk so that it wouldn't go away. <laughs> So the moral of this is that you all can do anything, right? It's I find this very inspiring. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Just don't expect to get the money to get again, paid Again, for don't it. like put this like this is daunting, right? We talk about all of this, and everyone who's like inspired to go home and make a magazine is like, fuck that. Don't think about any of this. None of this actually matters. If you're truly meant to do it, you'll just do it. You'll find the energy. You'll find the way. Grit, gumption, blah blah blah. Like none of it. Ma like none of this business stuff actually matters. <laughs> <laughs> Did we answer the question? So when I was like super young, so I, I think like you guys were probably like afraid to interview me because I was like yeah, a, a young teenager. Yeah. So as soon as I turned 18 is when like all the older trans guys started talking to me basically. <laughs> um, but I, I remember it was right after I turned 18, I met you guys in real life at the Philadelphia Trans Health Conference and I was giving the keynote speech that year and you guys came and like to me that was like, that showed me like, wow, like, like to me, you guys were like, you know, like I was like, oh my God, they came to like hear me speak, you know, it was like cool. And then you took my picture and um, I, I wrote something for, for it uh, years later. Like, I think I was maybe like 21 at the time, but um, it was something I wanted to be a part of like so badly, but I was like not old enough to be a part of it. And even just like, I showed up at the OP party in Philly 
and like I was trying so hard to get in and like you you tried to get me in and they just like would not let me in like I like made my mom like mom please like tell them I won't I even drink so like yeah they would not let me in but the security guy so I, I never got to go to any of the parties because I was too young but for me, like <laughs> being in the being in the magazine, I I had I just had a photo like my chest with the my scars showing and stuff and right? yeah and it it was just you know it felt I don't know there's nothing like that was like altered I wasn't worried about that um, it's just like and I, I've been in the media a, a little bit and definitely like I mean my first experience was like on Larry King and like the interview was called The Secret Life of Transgenders in 2009, so, um, and I mean even just like a few months ago, uh, the New York Times were like, asked me if I had bottom surgery, and I was like, why do you need to know that, you know, like, so it's just like that's the, the type of like, it's still going on today, like we still need to like educate people, and I, and I, like for me, I take that time, like I, I told them like, hey, don't ask trans people this, you know, and like, Maybe I might lose that like interview, but like who cares? Like educate someone first and like put the community first is like always been my thing. So um, and obviously like original plumbing has always done that, and I, that's like you know a lot of respect for that. So thanks. Should we do this again? You want me to go? Do you guys want to go? Okay. No, I'm okay. All right. Um, uh, yeah. There's so much to say about this actually. Um, I think a lot about trans representation in media, and um, actually, the at the time that I was in the issue, I think, or maybe it was a little bit later, but it was around then um, that I was doing the thing on the island I was talking about. I was interviewed by this dude from ESPN because I was literally reporting on children's sports. That was my job. I was a reporter, <laughs> and I was on this island reporting on children's sports. And the guy from ESPN was like, "Transgender's tipping point," like really really so into it and wanted to know all about me and all this stuff and it just you know it, it so regularly feels you know of course exoticizing and uh, fetishistic and really boring honestly super boring and you know when we're when I'm engaging with you all or when we're all engaging with each other like tonight I was not anxious about coming here at all and pretty much every other time I'm asked to come up for something I'm so worried because not only do I speak for myself, but I speak for our community because usually there's one or two of us um, and that is so much pressure and it's also so, um, you know, it's so frustrating actually because it shouldn't be me speaking for, for a group of people that is not homogenous at all. Um, so yeah, it's much, it's, it's really wonderful to be able to kind of be inside the echo chamber um, and not necessarily uh, having people bounce their, um, their fetish off of me, so. Great question. Uh, I'm sitting here thinking about how many times I've been interviewed. <laughs> Not many. Uh, two of them have been with Amos, and I, because I read those interviews, I saw those interviews, I saw what trans people were asked, and I ran away. I didn't want to be asked, I didn't want to talk about it, I don't want to sing about it, no. I was, when, I, when Amos, um, he interviewed me for Candy Magazine when I was still trying to do music. And I mean, I'm doing it now, but I took a big break to study acting because, uh, yeah, because I just needed to kind of work at a retail place, walk my dog, you know, like be a guy for a little while. So I actually was stealth for quite some time. 
And even though I had a presence online, nobody was calling me for an interview. So um, when I met you, that was right before I, I went into hiding. And um, I mean, it wasn't really, I was here, I was in LA. I, I had some sort of <laughs> online presence on YouTube, but it was a, a kind of joke. So I felt so comfortable with Amos. I remember thinking, oh, this isn't so bad. Like we're just having a conversation about my obsession with Hillary Duff and how, <laughs> you know, how I, you know, how I, how I remember new kids on the block. He reminded me today, and uh, you know, I talked about my dad, which is, you know, it wasn't a uh, an easy thing for me to talk about, but talking about my dead actor father is actually easier than talking about being trans for me. So. I could bro chat with you, and I don't even know if you asked me any trans questions. I don't. I don't think do so. No. 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 There was nothing really. That's because it was a trans magazine about how trans it, people in the trans community are. People. What are they into? What do they look like? What do they like to wear? Like, what do they look like when they are themselves? What What do they want to show the world? Like, it's not. There's no, there wasn't analyzation about it at all. So that made me feel better. Like if I decided I wanted to be entertainment in entertainment, I would just call Amos and be like, hey, I have to do an interview for this magazine. Will you do it with me? <laughs> um, yeah, and, and since then, it's, I feel like I am growing up at a time where now it's safer to do interviews with people. I feel like you know, people like Amos and, and Rocco laid the groundwork for what it could be to interview a trans person, what the proper way to do it is to, do, how to respect a person and ask them the right questions. And this interview was just so fun. I got to talk about how I survived, you know, and how my life is happy. Like, what are the great things that happened and how I got here, not what my body looks like, like, you know, Ryan said. So uh, I, I am excited to, I had a I want, did want to say I had a director say to me, "I'm so excited you're in this," and this is right, right after I did the interview with you, and right when I decided I'm going to go work for Forever 21, like I can't do this anymore, and I'm going to PA at, at a reality TV show. She was like, "God, you know, it's so interesting. I can, I, I look so hard at you, and I can, I can see the girl in there, and it's just so fascinating. Like you're both." Like, no, at no point did I say I'm both. Those people exist. There is a community of non-binary people out there. Do not look at me and call me fascinating, but I couldn't do that because I was a doormat and thought I had to be quiet. And now we don't have to be quiet anymore, which is great. We're at a bookstore. I, I, I actually can't really believe it. <laughs> so thank you, Amos and Rocco, for laying the groundwork. All right. Um, I think you were the first trans person to interview me, that first one. And I thought it was amazing because it was just about the work that I was making, you know. Um, and so it allowed me to think about more of the work I was making instead of like my the way that I was thinking about my body. Um, which isn't a bad thing, but I think I was just kind of like spiraling out at that point. And it also set a precedent of how I should be interviewed, you know? So I think, and I, I do get interviewed a lot, so, and I'm kind of a fire mouth, so, <laughs> um, so, you know, I do get asked questions, and I think that 
when you first interviewed me, it gave me the agency to just say no. So I, I tell people no, like I'm not gonna answer this question, this question isn't appropriate, or this question is boring. Like, can we talk about this? So I feel like I take ownership over my interviews because of being interviewed by you in a way that made me feel like a person, like a creative person that I didn't have to discuss my work about, you know, and have it tied to these things that, you know, people want them to be locked inside of, you know, and <clears throat> it just, yeah, it just like allowed me to to have, you know, like I said, more agency around how I'm being interviewed now. And I think that interviews are shifting a little bit. Um, you know, there are, you know, more queer, um, not that many trans folks in, you know, higher positions, you know, within magazines, but I feel like that is shifting and that's allowing um, people to just be a little bit more intentional about how we talk to people, about how, what they are doing in the world and how they are existing in the world. So, yeah, you were, you were my first. <laughs> my first interview, yeah, so I appreciate it. Can you imagine if uh, trans people interviewed cis people the way that trans, like just flipping it, just being like, oh, so, okay, so you're an Olympic athlete. Tell me about how you go to the bathroom. <laughs> Anyone who's a journalist here, I know there's a handful of them who are trans. Um, I hope that you do that. Just flip it. Start flipping it. How does your mother feel about your gender identity? Oh, you wrote a book? That's so sweet. There are more questions, or yeah. oh. Oh. Yes. Oh, um, hold on. Uh, uh, there's somebody who hasn't asked already. So yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I think I think it would have been less stressful if we could have paid yeah. ourselves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, it, if we had like cre created a foundation of a business and Imagine hired people, be able to pay people. <laughs> You know, like, Imagine and have people take over. If she could have done the books I know, for if us. Beth Pickens could have done some, the books. And we had, like, <laughs> She's people who did the experience. mailing for us, and then we all, all we had to do was focus on... On the creative stuff. Yeah. yeah. That would have been great. So, yeah. Do you have suggestions? Okay. Yeah. I'm ready to start a GoFundMe page for the man of the cloth. Uh, yes, I want to know what the shaman has to say. I want to see his picture, <laughs> but also if I ever have extra money, it's yours. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't be shy. If you have extra money, <laughs> toss it away. <laughs> we have back issues too. You could support that way. We we are in a little debt. If you guys want to support, <laughs> I beg of you. It's called the callback. Cannibalistic. Yeah, like really <laughs> And so I want to talk about, you know, all, for all of the people that are in our community creating things, I'm sure a lot of people will do that. How, and then a lot of people that are consumers of it will do the same. So, yeah, if you have things around how to have that conversation in a respectful, positive way. That's 
Do you mean like if people are doing problematic things? Or just you don't like their stuff? If you don't like their stuff, just don't support it. That's the best. Yeah, it's none of your business. They're making it for someone else, right? I know exactly. Oh, it came to me. I mean, I do not have an answer, yeah. but I do think it's an extremely, it feels like an extremely important question. I mean, I posted this event tonight on Instagram, and I had a bunch of people who were um, uh, associated with TGIP um, in the Bay, you know, uh, uh, Miss Major's project. Um, and they were like, well, you should also talk about the fact that there was a conflicting party in 20, 2011 or something. And that, in effect, and is why we slowed the magazine down. But, and at the same time, all see, like in my experience, so regularly do I want to show up for my community and also make things in the community. And at the same time, I recognize all the access I have as a person with the skin color I have and as a person who, um, you know, is mobile and all of these things. Um, you know, I do live with a disability and I can make a whole list of other things that I have that um, limit my access to. And we all actually occupy those positions. Most of us in this room occupy a dominant and a targeted position. And to be able to think about the ways that we interact with both all the time is so essential. Um, but as to being kind of torn down for trying, um, I, don't, I don't have experience with that at this point. I mean, I spend a lot of the time, uh, I guess, in education. And so I talk about this from that angle. But I would love to hear more about, you know, what we can think of as a community in terms of resilience, too. Um, because I do think, like, I personally am deeply invested in running back every single day into the burning building that is white supremacy. Um, and, you know... Hegemony. I mean, we could just go on, on and on about that. Um, and my commitment to that will sometimes put me on the firing line, but that's that's okay for me. I th I want to just say to what you're saying about there's an abundance or, of stuff. Great. The more, the better. And if it doesn't speak to you, make something that does. And don't be afraid of other people not having it not resonate with them. Then it's not for them, and that's okay. And I think as long as we're not harming someone, there's a difference between making something that maybe triggers you and then maybe honor your trigger and figure out what it is and turn inward, turn to someone who is your community, call someone in, have a conversation. Why did that happen like this? This is, I mean, there are so many ways to have a dialogue, but call out culture is so pervasive and so damaging and damning and creates the PTSD that I was talking about because there's no actual um, desired uh, outcome other than to just shut you down. And if someone's trying to make something, that's incredibly vulnerable. So any queer person who's making something is being vulnerable. Anybody who's making something is being vulnerable. But particularly if you come from a marginalized community, if you are a marginalized person, if you're intersectional identity and you're putting yourself out there like that, that's so fucking vulnerable. And to have strangers attack you for doing something, expressing your reality is basically all we're doing when we're making art or trying to translate it to other people to, to be able to relate to, to see, do you feel this? I feel this, I'm not alone, I don't wanna be alone. And then have the vultures come and pick at you and they're not doing anything, right? They're not making anything, they're just making a mess of you offering this like piece of your vulnerable self. So I don't have any time for critiques. There's no such, there's no critiquing. This is, we're not, I'm not in a museum, this isn't in a museum. This is an offering to a community that has very few offerings. If it doesn't resonate with you, I'm sorry. I hope you make something that does resonate with you and that you put it out into the world and not just as a comment or a DM. <laughs>
Are you... He said he has a fire mouth I want to hear. <laughs> I don't know the full no, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. <laughs> if there's more, we have time for a few more questions. Um, Don't ask people private questions about things that have nothing to do with what you're interviewing them about. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if people would learn anything from it. Like if, they're, if their mindset is to ask specific questions, like it might, I mean, they'd probably look at it and be like, oh, great, this is, you know, this is boring. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? <laughs> they think. <laughs> opposite of like, ooh, look at all these bodies. Right, yeah. <laughs> or they probably don't pick up the magazine because they're too interested in asking how the bathroom happens. That question happens so much. Can I, can I say what you said the first time someone yeah, asked you? Sure. Or you say? Oh, I had a journalist ask me. From how, the New York Times. No, it was the New York, New York Magazine, okay. I think. And they asked me um, what bathroom I use, and I told them the litter pan. <laughs> <laughs> they did not print it, though. He didn't, no, he didn't print it. He did not print it. Too bad. It would have changed. It would have changed everything. That would have changed history. <laughs> I'm actually, there's this thing called the Everyman Project that's just popping up. They're getting a lot of attention right now. And I took a look at their website because after this camp situation that I'm doing, I was like, God, I just want to be in like small circles with men to heal my man-hating. Because I went from like being a man-hater to then healing my shit by entering into a male body that's being read as ma male all the time to being a fully actualized man. And then going back, 360 degrees to resting in a place of deep-seated man-hating again. And these camps, I'm not even joking, Valerie Solanus was like the Bible for me, but I am at a place now, though, that the camp healed my relationship to men because with a hundred other men who struggled with their own man-hating and their own very intentional paths to maleness, I realized that, like, being a, there's also, like, really beautiful aspects of being a man. So then I was like, what would it be like to be a trans guy in these, like, men's groups? So then me and a few other guys started going to other men's groups, um, like the Mankind Project. Uh, and they say, they, like, smudged us before, and I got burned badly. <laughs> and I was like, God damn it. See, now even with the smudge, their men are still burning me. But I reached out to every man because it appealed to me, except that it was all white bearded dudes, like no diversity at all. So I reached out to them and I wrote them an email being like, there's no diversity. If I were to come to your camp, or your excursions, would I feel uncomfortable? Here's who I am, here's what it's about. And they were honest. They were like, yeah, it's pretty white. It's really straight and we've never had a trans guy. And I was like, how do we change that? And how do we get into conversation? So I'm starting those conversations with them now to try and figure out how to integrate trans men into those kind of groups so we have an actual dialogue and real representation of every man in these kind of circles. I think it's just gonna happen in small pockets. There are people doing it, doing that type of work. I think Thomas McBee is, uh, has a column on um, Teen Vogue right now that he's interviewing men about 
problematic masculinity. I think it's just more of us like going there. And sometimes I, this might be an unpopular thing to say. I'm known for those things, I guess. But um, tr trans men are often like, like asked like, okay, you're a man now, so please be quiet. Your voice isn't necessary in this conversation, which is a, it's a thing that happens. And in those moments, I think if that's true, and that's in the queer community, if that's true, let's take our voices to a community that could use them and it could be beneficial, which is to cis men spaces. Like if we, as, trans, as men of trans experience, bring our voices into that conversation, that's gonna change things. It would be uncomfortable as fuck, but. <laughs> um, I think that that's all for our question and answer and then we're gonna have a signing and a milling about and making new friends. Can we clap for original Yeah, we're also, if you guys have friends in San Francisco, we're gonna be at Green Apple Books on the park on uh, May 31st and in Portland, uh, June 2nd at Powell's. And I think for anyone who wants to hang out, um, you know, we're not having an OP party, but there's a bar a couple blocks down called The Study on this street. Yeah, let's all meet there. If anyone wants to hang out, let's take over the bar. Uh, and someone in the front row just said they'll be taking their shirt off, so you won't be alone. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.